Amen. Thank you, ladies. Thankful that every bridge can be burned behind us. Turn with me if you have your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. You know, I was just realized, just thinking about, last Sunday we preached from John in the morning. This morning we preached from John, and then we've been preaching through 1 John. John's just, we're just getting a lot of John. If you don't like John's writing style, you're, I guess you're in bad shape. Uh, you've been hearing a lot of it. Uh, don't worry, we'll get through, we'll get through John's writings here and... and uh, in about, you know, six, seven months. and <laughs> I don't know, I, I got slow through, went real slow through chapter two, and then I tackled a huge chunk uh, the last time. And then, so I thought we could tackle, you know, a good chunk here this, mor- uh, this evening. And wouldn't you know... John just packs in so much good truth, you just can't do it. You just go, if you go speeding through these pictures, you're just not going to get to preach very much of what's there. So we're only going to read the first three verses. But if you'll, if you'll help me, if you'll, and the Lord will help me, we have five thoughts that we want to share just from these three verses. John's just packed a ton in here. So I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 John chapter 3, and beginning in verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Father, we thank you for the word, we thank you for the truth of it. Just a few short verses, and yet so much here. We just ask that you'd help us tonight to rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, help us to walk in the light of it. May we be glorified one day as we are in your presence. May we be counted worthy. May we be counted worthy. Favors in your perfect name. Amen. You may be seated. Why be pure? Why should we be pure? Why should we do the things that are necessary to be sanctified? Why bother? If when we stand before the Lord... Salvation is enough, and it is, to be saved will get us into heaven. If salvation is enough, if our sins are forgiven, we can go to heaven. Why bother 
to go on into holiness? I think that's a valid question. I, 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 we talk a lot about holiness. We make a big deal and we put it in our church names and put it on our, on our church sign. In fact, we put it on our pulpit. We've made a big deal about holiness. And I think rightly so. But why do we make a big deal about people being pure? Why would we do that? What is the point if salvation is enough? Thief on the cross didn't get sanctified. He made it. Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again. Didn't go on to explain to him holiness. Woman at the well that we preached about. We don't read of her getting sanctified. Why do we need to be pure? Why is that important? Why do we make such a big deal about it when so many other churches don't think it's important? When the churches around us will say that you, that, that you are free to sin and word, thought, and deed every day. They don't value purity. Now, thank the Lord that many of them live above their doctrine. But why is it important for us to be pure and when so many others don't think it's important? I think, I think we need to pause and think about that tonight for just a little while. Because we've made a big deal about something that many others don't feel is important. So why is it important? Why must we be pure? What, what, what is the, the reason that we should go on into holiness? Why, why, is, why is it that we've that we made such an important part of who we are that we have we've had to have some difficult discussions and perhaps even we've some here have been part of times when the churches had to separate because the church has made a decision that they didn't want to be pure anymore. Why be pure? John gives us, I believe, five reasons in three verses why it's important for us to be pure. I brought my Bible. I want, I want, to, I want to go through them. I want you to know that I'm not just making these up. The very first one, he starts, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. The very first reason that we should seek to be holy is because God has loved us so much that we ought to want to be holy. Story of a young lady, she was out with her boyfriend and they were at a party and... and uh, Young people do. They decided that they wanted to go somewhere else, somewhere that, that she knew that her parents didn't approve of. And so the, 
she said to her boyfriend, I, I think I'd rather you just took me home instead of going to such and such a place. And one of their friends overheard it and she said, what, you afraid your dad's going to hurt you if you go there? And she says, no, I'm not afraid my dad will hurt me. I'm afraid I'll hurt my dad. She's a, she understands. She understands that because her father has loved her so much that she doesn't want to hurt her dad in response with her behavior. And John is saying to us right from the beginning here that we need to be pure. We need to go on into holiness because God has already demonstrated to us so much love that it should become natural that because God wants us to be holy that we should want to please Him in response to the love that He's already bestowed upon us. I don't think I need to go into how much God has shown His love to us. I probably could preach three hours just on God's love for us. But if God loves us, and someone really loves us, and we love them, there's a natural desire, there's a natural response that you want them to be pleased. And if you don't want that person to be pleased, you don't want that person to be happy, you don't love that person like they love you. It's, it's natural. I want my wife to be happy. And I know the old saying, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I don't think that that should be the way it is in a holiness home. But, I don't want to poke the bear either. I might get mauled. <laughs> no, I want her to, I want her to be happy. I want her, I, I want her to, to, you know, not be over there wishing, man, I wish I'd married some other guy. You say, she wouldn't do that. If I was miserable to her, she might. If I didn't care about her happiness, if all I cared was about my happiness and, and what I wanted to do, she might, she might think, man, what's wrong with this guy? You know, a, a sinner, when they sin, they sin against the law. But when a Christian makes the decision that they're going to sin. They don't sin against the law. They sin against love. An unbeliever doesn't sin against love. They don't know God's love. They've not experienced God's love. They're not living in God's love. They don't know. But when a Christian, when somebody who has known God's love and experienced God's love, when they have experienced what God has for them, and they choose to sin anyways, they sin against God's love, not His law. I think this is one of the most important parts of growing up. There comes a point in that you, uh, uh, you didn't just follow mom and dad because of what they could, uh, you know, because they could discipline you and take you outside the church and do something to you. Warm your equator up a little bit. There came a point when you weren't afraid of that anymore. 
But you still listened and you still wanted them to be happy because you'd seen how much they'd done for you and how much they'd sacrificed and how much they've given. And you wanted to respond in kind. Children don't totally understand that. But as we get older, we begin to understand a little bit more about what it means to sin against love. To go against that. John says for the very, his very first thought here and, and why we should be pure, why we should go on into holiness, because God loves us so much. He's given us, bestowed upon us, what manner of love. It's indescribable how much he loves us. You know, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misunderstanding about how it is that a person could sin so terribly that they would have to spend eternity in hell. The reason that, we, that sin is so terrible and requires eternal judgment is because a sin is a rejection of perfect love. It's a rejection of perfect love. And when we reject a perfect love that is eternal, that, it, that God's love for us had no beginning and will have no end, when we have sinned to that degree, and every sin is to that degree, we deserve eternal judgment. To trample over His love. To trample over His offer of forgiveness and His offer of grace. It isn't that a loving God sends people to hell. It's that an ungrateful and unloving person turns their back on God and goes themselves. And said, I'd rather have their way rather than to accept the love of God. And God says, I will let you go to a place where you don't have to experience my love. Remember, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every blessing that a sinner has is a gift from the Lord. Every good thing. And hell is a place where there's no good things. And that's why, even though it's hard for us to understand, it's why hell is an eternal punishment. It's because it's a sin against an eternal perfect love. We should be pure because of the love that God has shown us. Let's continue. I, I, want to, I want to see again what John says here. That we should be called the sons of God. God has given us His name. lady had written in to, to the, I think it was Ann Landers, and she says, it happened again. We were at the mall and, you know, some stranger thought it was important for them to point out to us that our two sons don't look anything alike. And uh, she said, finally, my six-year-old decided that they were going to inform him. And that six-year-old looked at her and said, I was adopted. That means you have the same family, but a different face. I really like that definition. We don't, we don't necessarily look like Jesus looks. We don't all have uh, you know, 
course, the pictures that we have of Jesus aren't what Jesus looked like. But we're not all, you know, Palestinian men. Thank the Lord for that. One of our ladies here. We don't all have the same face, but we all have the same family. We have the same name. One of the things that I've tried very hard to instill in my children, as I said, wear your name well. You are a Morford. And the behavior that you have as you're going to youth camp, the, the behavior you have at school when, when mom and dad aren't there, whether at school or youth camp or, or anywhere where we might not be, you represent this family. And everybody knows that you're a Morford. There aren't any other Morfords out here that I've met yet. And they know, everyone knows that those are the ultimate churches, pastors, kids. They bear the name Morford. And I have tried to instill on them, when you go to these places and mom and dad aren't there, and maybe we won't know what you've done, and we might not know what you've done in, uh, behind a uh, closed doors or be, what you've done uh, when you're away from home, but you bear our name. You bear our name. And there's some things that I want Morfords to be known for, and there's some things that I don't want us to be known for. And you know what I'm talking about. We're in a community that's small enough. There's certain names that we could speak and you would think to yourself, I know what those guys are like. I didn't want my daughters marrying any of their crew. Were all of them bad? Maybe. But maybe not. But you know what? A name gets a reputation in a small town. Oh, you're a Mahan. We know what kind of people you are. Oh, you're a Peterson. We know what kind of people they are. You know, we bear the name of Christ. We call ourselves Christians. That's a serious, much more serious than our last name. That's serious things to be called the sons of God. And when we behave in impure ways, we reflect negatively on a pure God. I know some of you may not believe me. Well, let me tell you that there's a preacher, I don't know how to say his name, but he's made it all over the news. He's been in the news so many times, I, I, every time I see, uh, I, I see anything about him, it makes me sick to my stomach. He has put out a request that people would donate towards his, I think it's his seventh private jet. Seventh private jet. Now he'll donate the old one when the money comes in for the new one. Isn't that generous? Now I, I tell you, to be honest with you, I'd love if I had... Enough money to come in where I had a private jet. I'd just fly you right on over to South Africa. You wouldn't have to worry about any of those uh, changes, and you wouldn't have to worry about your luggage. I think that'd be fantastic. 
I'm not saying that a private jet couldn't be handy. But the truth is, I don't need a private jet. And the truth is, is that, that the world looks on, and do you know what they think? They think that all preachers are money-hungry charlatans. Because this guy gets in the news. It doesn't matter that the vast majority, I believe it's over 50% of pastors live below the poverty level. This guy gets in the news and he has made a reflection on all of the church. He bore the name Christian and he wore it poorly and he's wrecked our testimonies here that have nothing to do with that guy and probably don't agree with the things that he's preaching. But we have to bear that. That's something modern. How about just a few years ago when the, the Catholic Church sex scandal came out? Did that affect us? Oh, you better believe it. It didn't just affect Catholics. It affected all of us. That Because they bore the name of Christ, it reflected on us because we have his name. These are some negatives. Thank God for some that are positive. But you know, we live in a culture that's only fixated on the negative. I mean, every hero they can rip down. We've, they've ripped down George Washington. They've ripped down... I mean, it just doesn't matter who it is. They just, it, we live in a culture that is thrilled to rip and tear and destroy. And this actually... I'm jumping to another point here, and I apologize. It goes on... It goes on to say, and, and I'm just going to go right and mention it here, it talks about the world rejecting us. We should be pure because the world is going to reject us if we, whether we're pure or not. You know, I was a young person. We had a, we had a good youth group, a lot of young people in our youth group. God was helping us. There's a young man by the name of Robin. Robin came from a horrible home. His dad was in prison for abusing his sister. His mother and stepfather were drunks. They come from a horrible, rotten, terrible background. But Robin and his brother and sister attended our church. They were part of our youth group. They were good friends of mine. But Robin started running around with a gang in town. I wish I could tell you when I said gang, I meant, you know, like the Sugar Creek gang or one of those nice little things that they call gang. No, this wasn't one of those things. We're talking about, we're talking about bad kids. And Robin made the decision that to be a part of this gang, he wanted to belong. He, his family was a mess, and he decided that he wanted to be a part of that family instead of the church family. And we were in revival. We went by the house. I was a church van kid, you know that. We I was in the church van, picked up for revival. I, don't, I think it's Sunday night, perhaps closing night of revival. Picking up, a, I think, his sister. And Robin was outside, and we said, Robin, why don't you come with us? Robin came with us to church that night. Preacher preached. I don't remember the evangelist. I don't remember anything about that service, except for I remember there was an altar call at the end of the service. And Robin and I had been sitting beside each other. Now we're standing and Robin's got his hands gripped. He's got it gripped to the pew in front of him. He's under conviction. God's dealing with him. 
People told me later they were hoping that I'd say something to Robin. I was just there praying. And one of our friends, one of the other young people, came up to him and started talking to Robin. And Robin went to the altar and began to deal and do business with God. And I remember Robin came up. There were tears streaming down his face. In fact, as I recall, he stood up on the altar and said, I'm never getting off from this altar. But the very next day, when he went back to his, his gang, they were rejecting him. And so he decided that it was more important to be loved by the world than it was to be pure. Robin spent time in prison, and I'm not sure where he is now. He may still be in prison. The world is going to reject you if you're just half. You know, there's no, there's no walking the line between serving God and serving the world. You know, all these churches that have tried to, they've, tried to, they've compromised their convictions and their standards, they've compromised on, on right and wrong. Folks, if the world is going to reject uh, pure Christianity, they're going to reject uh, half-baked Christianity. Because a pure Christianity is attractive because it's different. It's attractive because there's a change in the life. There's, there's, a, there's a joy. But a half-baked, mixed Part of the world, part of the church in there. You know what that is? That's just a, a social club where people just like them get together and be just like them. And they can have that in just about any case, in any situation. I read the story of a preacher. He was on an airplane and not a private jet. He was in coach, like most of us take. And as he was there, he had a magazine, or, or uh, I think it was a magazine he was looking at, and some ladies were there, and they were talking about their exploits, their sins, very openly, just talking backwards and forth. One was complaining, she goes, I don't understand why men just refuse to commit. She, and another one said, I know, right? She said, I don't understand why, why these men who promise to leave their wives and never do. And they're having this conversation, and he's there trying to read his magazine, but he can overhear them just talking all this, all this stuff. And then one of them said, she goes, you know, if it wasn't for the church, I just don't know how I'd make it. And another one said, oh, you go to church? I go to church too. You're, just, you're right. Said, if I just miss two weeks, I'm, just, I'm in trouble. I just, she said, my life just starts falling around. And the preacher there has stopped reading his magazine. He's listening. He's looking there. He's trying to pretend. But he's listening. And what is going on? You know what is going on? They have a half-baked Christianity. That's no Christianity at all. There's no purity. They... They have their social club, they have their time where they're feeling good, but they're being rejected by the world, and they're being rejected by Christ when they stand before him. Why would you want that? What value is a Christianity where you're rejected by the world and you're rejected by Christ when you stand before him? It's better to pick one. Robin made the decision his friends were more important. And he's paid a terrible price. Are we really 
Are we really willing to have a half-baked Christianity? Christianity that doesn't mean anything, that doesn't make a difference? Or change life and be pure? Now I should pause here and go down just a little tiny rabbit trail because I need to explain something here. When I'm talking about purity, I don't mean purity and holiness like we of externals. I'm talking about purity of heart and lifestyle. And here's what, I, why I'm, what I'm saying here. We have got to get our hearts and we've got to get our, 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 uh, our lives completely and totally surrendered and turned over to God. Because when we don't do that, when we talk, when we start making about the rules and this and that, you know what happens? If we're impure in our hearts, we will start finding loopholes. We'll find loopholes and the world and our young people, our Christian young people, will look at that and they'll say, what is going on? You know, I'm concerned... Oh, I preached on standards a couple weeks ago. I better be careful here. I don't want to go down. I don't want to go preach on standards again. But folks, let me just let me just say, if a if a diamond's wrong on a ring, it's wrong on your watch. And if you're going to put it on your watch, and it's going to be your engagement watch. Or it's going to be your timepiece. You're just going to you're just going to play around. You're going to you're you're going to violate the scriptures. But it, it's a timepiece. You know what's going to happen? Young people are going to look at it and say, you know, if I if you can have that big old rock in your on your watch, I I ought to be able to wear it around my finger. And you know what? They are right. We're not talking about purity of following laws and rules and regulations. We're talking about motives and purity of the heart here. And if we would get that taken care of, we wouldn't have all these issues of looking for loopholes because a pure heart doesn't want loopholes. It wants to be God-pleasing. Because again, the love of God. When we start skirting around and looking for little ways that we can, that we can get around the rules, it's... The book doesn't say, I can't do this, you know, so I'm going to do it. That's not purity of heart. I don't care what you're living like. I don't care if you've got all your uh, T's crossed and your I's dotted. Purity of heart doesn't look for loopholes in the rules. Purity of heart is looking for ways they can please and honor the Father. I don't want my children looking for the loopholes in what I said. I've had to tell some, listen, you're not a lawyer, and this isn't the law. This is dad speaking. You know what I mean? Do it. I'm not writing out a whole bunch of clauses and subparagraphs. And all of that. You know what dad says. You know what dad means. And dad expects you to walk in what you know is meant. Then why as adults do we do that with God? I think I see a loophole here. 
Oh, you know, I, I, you know, it's not spelled out just exactly. I think I'm just going to get skirt around this right here. What in the world? You're not going to let your children don't do it. Then why would you do it to God? I know I'm getting noisy. I'm sorry. But I'm talking about purity of heart, not purity of we followed the letter of the law to, and got, found all of our loopholes around it. Seriously. Lord, help us. This is supposed to be an encouraging message and why we should be pure. And now we're getting on all this stuff. All right, here we go. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it kneweth him not. That's, I preached that already. Oh, boy. That was verse 1, folks. I want you to know I asked my children before I came over here to pray. I said, do you want Daddy to preach uh, short? And Kelsey shouted, no! I said, do you want Daddy to go long? She smiled real big and said, yes. So, I don't know that you can blame her for it. It's my fault, but I just want you to know I've got, I had encouragement. <laughs> I'll try to hurry up. Beloved, now we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What is this? This is our hope. This is our hope. That we would be like Jesus, because one day we're going to be in his presence and we're going to be like him. You know, there's a lot of nonsense out there that says that when we die, that we become angels. We don't become angels. We become like Jesus. I don't want to be like an angel. I want to be like Jesus. I think angels are pretty neat. They're a lot more powerful than I am. But I don't, that's not my aim. That's not my goal. That's not what I'm after. And if I'm going to be like Jesus then, what does that mean? That means that I should want to get in good practice now. If you want to be the world's best basketball player, if that's your dream, that, that you want to be the world's basketball player, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to go out here and you're going to shoot, have to shoot hoops and shoot hoops. And some of you will never make it. You're, you, you've already passed up your opportunity. And some of us never had the genetics. But if we wanted to become uh, the best basketball player that we could possibly be, we'd have to spend hours on this court. If you want to become the best at the instrument you play, 10,000 hours of practice. 10,000 hours. In order to become what they call professional grade performing, performance. 10,000 hours. Now I have a question for you. If a person who plays the piano or a person who shoots a ball through a hoop is willing to dedicate 10,000 hours of practice so that they could become a professional grade at what they love, how much more should we practice being like Christ? 
Why, should, why is purity important? Why do we want to go on to holiness? Why, is, why do we make such a big deal about it? Because we want to practice being like Christ now because one day we will be like Him. I, I don't know how heaven's going to work. But these people that, that sin and, 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 and in and out and in and out and in and out, I don't know if they, get, if they just get moved to the front of the class. Or if those that, that have worked and practiced and so forth, if, if they get a head start. I don't know how that works. But I know this. When I stand before Him, I don't want there to have to be too much that God's going to have to fix to make me like Him. That I've already put my time here on, here on earth doing my best to be like Him. I know there's work that's going to still have to be done. There's None of us, if we lived a... 150. There's still work that God will have to do on us. I'm not suggesting there isn't, but what I'm trying to help us understand is, is that purity is important because there's a hope of heaven. And if we have this hope that we'll be like Him. And if we're going to be like Him, we're going to have to be pure. And we're going to have to practice now. And if someone who's willing to play an instrument I, I, I have a preacher friend of mine. He had a dream that he was going to play in, in the major leagues. If I understand correctly, he played baseball against Mike Piazza. Now, some of you don't know who that is, but some of you are not in your head. You know who I'm talking about. He said that he'd go into the batter's cages and he would bat take batting practice until his hands bled because he wanted to become a major until God got a hold of him and changed him and called him to preach. But tell me this. If a young man can want to be a baseball player so bad he'll bat until his hands bleed, how can we do any less? How can we do any less? than to be pure as he is pure. You know what? That boy loved baseball, or he wouldn't do it. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure, because he's the standard. Be holy even as I am holy. God has set the standard. Why, should, why do we make a big deal about holiness? Because God is holy and He has called us to be holy. Does that mean we'll be holy just like He is? No, we're not going to be holy just like He is. If I take and I were to bring a, a drop of water and I somehow had the ability to bring in a great big swimming pool and pull it in here and I was able to take the Pacific Ocean and be able to pull it in here all three of those have the same property, H2O, made up of the same thing. But the drop of water does not have the power or the abilities of that pool of water. And that pool of water doesn't have the same capacity and power as a great big ocean. If I had a drop of water, not one of you would be afraid of it, I don't think. I hope not. Anybody. 
But if I, pulled it, if I were to say to, to you, I'd jump in the pool, some of you would say, I'm afraid to get in the pool. But if I were to say to you, jump into the, in the middle of the ocean, and there's no boats and there's nothing to rescue you, we're just going to shove you off, I think none of us would be volunteering. Because there's a difference in size and in power and ability. And we may be just a drop of water, or we may be a small, shallow pool. God, of course, is the ocean. But we share the same, and holiness helps us to share the same properties. But we don't share in his power. We won't share in his knowledge and his, and his ability. We may not even be able to reach the, the love that he has for others. That, that we preached about this morning as we try to strive to love people as God does. We may not attain all that we'd want to attain to. But, but, we're going to do our best to be the same as He is. He's holy and we're going to be holy. He's pure, so we want to be pure. He's the standard. I'm not going to be all powerful like He is. I'm not going to be omniscient like He is. I can't heal somebody like He can, but I can be pure like He is. He set the standard. John, in three short verses, gives us, gives to us the reason, the answer to the question, why be pure? Why be holy? We ought to be holy because he's the standard. We ought to be holy because we have a hope of being like him. We ought to be holy because the world will reject us whether we're holy or not. We ought to be holy because we're called by his name. And we ought to be holy. Most of all because of what manner of love that he has bestowed upon us. Stand together.